To me, one of the most important frameworks with any of our kids at any age is whenever you're frustrated with them, to think about, am I looking at my kid like they're the problem? Or am I thinking about my kid as being on the same team as me against a problem? Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. All right. Heidi here. So pumped to bring on the woman Time Magazine named the Millennial Parenting Whisperer today. After all of the quality time parents have gotten with their kiddos in this pandemic, it's safe to say we could all use tips from clinical psychologist extraordinaire Dr. Becky Kennedy. Known as Dr. Becky to her 1.1 million followers on the gram, at her parenting workshops, on her chart-topping Apple podcast, Good Inside with Dr. Becky, and And now on her Good Inside membership platform, Dr. Becky takes on tough parenting questions and delivers actionable guidance. Her goal is to empower parents to feel more equipped to manage the challenges of parenting. Dr. Becky's first book, Good Inside, a (laughs) book... Dr. Becky's first book, Good Inside, A Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be, releases this September. Listen to this show if you want tips from the millennial parenting whisperer herself. You aren't sure how to teach and earn respect as your little darlings enter their teen years, or you want to know if there is any chance you won't cause your child to need therapy later in life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Becky. So I had the pleasure of hearing your advice on a Bye Bye Baby Mommy Mingle panel that we did together last year, which I can't believe it was only last year, right? Doesn't it feel like a lifetime ago? literally a lifetime ago. Yes. (laughs) Totally how I feel. And it seems now that every parent in this world is paying attention to your incredible advice. Your Instagram account exploded over the pandemic. And now you have a new membership platform and a book being released in September. Care to share a little bit about that evolution? Yeah. You know, I feel like everything that's come I truly mean this, has been co-created with the most amazing parent community, which includes everybody listening here, right? I, I think for me, I have three kids too, 10, 7, and 4, and I kept wanting the same three things over and over in my parenting journey. I kept thinking like, I can Google so many questions that aren't that important in my life and get a really clear answer, but when it comes to parenting, which is something every parent cares a lot about, you don't you don't like what comes up on Google. Like nobody, you, you read some blog and you're like, why did I do that? So why can't I get quick answers to my questions? That was number one. Number two, parents over and over would say to me when they were in my practice, I wish I could get a little bit of your advice more often, or I wish I could know, oh, what would you tell me? Or I wish I could have more access to an occupational therapist or a couples therapist or a cross-cultural psychologist. And so I knew that parents want access to experts and Parents want access to each other. We need to be in a community with people who I don't think they're like-minded. I love a diversity of opinion, but I think they're like-valued. And I just kept thinking, what if we could build a totally new kind of game-changing platform that gave parents at their fingertips resources, access to experts, and access to each other, and always have that kind of in the same place. And so that's what we did. I love it. So Jamie here, I, you and I connected right during the pandemic. It's such a pivotal time for me. And I got to thank you for that. And I think it was really interesting. You were on the come up. I was watching your Instagram grow. My sister told me about you and we kind of discovered each other at the same time. And I was like, wow, I love what she's doing. And then you did like a little takeover on my Instagram because yes. you helped my kids move. So I was like uprooting my family as so many people did during the pandemic. And they were, they didn't know how to, I wouldn't say they were struggling with it. They were just like everybody else. Like, what is this new reality? What, where is our safety? What is going on? I moved my kids from the heart of the city to like a cornfield (laughs) and you helped me walk through that. And I think what, what your advice does is it takes some of the 
our emotions come out in our words and then all of our, you know, all of our advice and our, um, the way that we parent our kids can come out sideways when we're so tied up in emotion and you just help people take a step back and take a deep breath and approach it in a way that's really going to convert to kids. So I just want to thank you for that. First of all, for helping me at such a pivotal moment in my life. I have a lot of questions for you, but I really just want to start off with a general one. And that is what is the parenting question you get asked most often? Can I answer two questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the two questions I get all the time are, I know the parent I don't want to be. Like, I, I have a perfect image of that parent, and yet I don't know what to replace it with. And I think one of the reasons I keep doing these things I don't want to do is they're familiar to me, but I really don't have the playbook for what else to do. Like, where's that playbook? Kind of. I think that's one question. And the other question I get a lot is essentially, like, is it too late? Is it too late? My kid is three. My kid is five. My kid's 15. My kid is whatever age. I see this behavior and I wish I did things differently and I didn't. And is it too late? Yeah, that's a good one. Those are both good ones. I can answer. I can answer the first one. There's so few questions. You'll probably see this as we talk that I can give a straightforward answer to. I just like I feel like there's so much nuance to situations, but I can tell you there's no nuance to the question of it's too late. Um, It is not too late. I can say that with full conviction. And to me, there's evidence for the fact that it isn't too late to have a different type of impact on our kids and help them. And I think if all of us right now, like us, the four of us right now, and anybody listening right now, if you have a parent who's still alive, your parent, if you imagine them calling you out of the blue and saying, hey, you know what I've been thinking about? There are some things I did when you were younger that like, I really wish I didn't. And I think they felt bad to you. I'm going to cry as I say this. Oh, I, I love to cry, to Dr. Becky. Yeah, <laughs> right? And, and I'm sorry. And if you ever want to talk to me about any of those things, I know I can't take them away, but I really will listen. And I, I believe you. And I hope we can, you know, kind of do something different from here on out. Like, I just don't know one adult who would say, you know, it's too late. Or, you know, that had no impact on me. Like, I, I cry thinking about that. And mm-hmm. what that lets me know And anybody listening, right, what I know is that your children are younger than you are, okay? Like, that's just a biological truth. And so if it would impact you in a positive way, like, you just have almost mathematical proof that it would still matter so much to your kids. Yeah, I love that. Can I just say, like, a question I get all the time is from, like, my clients in the big ask, so they're trying to improve their own, like, weight loss and wellness, they make all these changes for themselves, but for their kids, they're like, oh, I could never change how they eat. Like, meanwhile, these these adults are trying to not put poisonous food and toxins and things that are going to make them gain weight and feel inflamed and feel not as good. They're trying to not put that in their own body. But with their kids, they're like, well, God forbid I take away the chocolate and pizza because that's just what they know and it's what they'll eat. And I always say to them, like... That is a cop out. And I mean, I'm not I'm not a parenting expert like you are, but I do feel like as a family unit, there is always an opportunity to know better and do better and to change the way that you are behaving, right? Yeah. Now, you know, food is so complicated. Food is so complicated between parents and kids. And uh, I think that's just a starting point. So food is complicated. Right. Food, food brings up a lot of things for us as parents. Right. We feel like am I I think so many of us, we almost unconsciously judge if we're being a good parent through the way our kids do or do not eat the foods we put out. Right. So let's just like say hi to that association. Second, um, kids really have their antenna up for feeling controlled. They mm. really do because they're trying to figure out if they're their own person. And they're trying to figure out what feels good in their body. And I think for parents, the line between a boundary that feels good in your family and control that feels good for no one is 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 tricky. And I think it is tricky when it comes to food, right? So what is setting my kids up for at least what I need to be healthy eating? And what is limiting my kids and is going to make them rebel down the line or in other ways now? I think that that's like a very nuanced topic. We could talk about that for days. So totally. I think. Right. So I think that that's what comes up for me about it on a bigger level. So this is where I'm at right now. So my kids are 11, 10 and eight. And sometimes I feel like I'm being bullied and I have a 
hard time maintaining my boundaries. So last night, for example, I'm going to give you an example because I need your help, Dr. Becky. We're at a lacrosse game, right? So the three of us, my my 11-year-old and my 8-year-old are watching my other son's lacrosse game. My husband's the coach. I have to take them to a practice. Nobody wants to leave. Nobody wants to go to the practice. We've committed to the practice. We've got to leave for the practice. The game's only at halftime. We got to leave for this practice. My two kids now are like, mom, no, no, we're not going to go. Hands up. Like we don't want to leave making a scene on the sidelines. And I fully have this moment of like, I should just let them stay. I want to watch the game anyway. This is fun. And this moment of like, we have a commitment. You have practice. We need to leave. And how dare you? disrespect me and not listen to me in this public setting. And at that moment, my daughter kind of put her hands to me and I pinched her. Like I grabbed her and I pinched her. And my other son was like, you pet, like, I'm like, because she has her hands up to me. And then I'm defending my behavior and I feel horrendous, but I don't know what to do in those set. Like it's, they're big kids. And sometimes I feel like I'm like, be nice to me. Leave me alone. <laughs> Oh, I feel for you in that moment. Like, it's an unwinnable moment, right? Because you're saying, Megan, you have conflict. Like, that's the thing. Like, they're representing one side of the conflict, but you don't have complete clarity either, right? And that's always the hardest moment as a parent, right? And that's often when we really want our kids to be nice to us. We kind of, we essentially are like, can you just do the thing I can't do for myself right now? Because I have a hard time having clarity myself. So can you just, like, do that for me? Which as soon as we articulate it that way, I think we're like, yeah, it's probably not so fair, but we all do that. So, a couple of things. Number one, to me, one of the most important frameworks with any of our kids at any age is whenever you're frustrated with them to think about, am I looking at my kid like they're the problem or am I thinking about my kid as being on the same team as me against a problem? This is the same thing for husbands or colleagues. Whenever <laughs> you're looking at someone like they're the problem, Nobody wins. And because if you think about yourself, you don't like to be looked at as a problem either. So that's when things really escalate. So my guess is you, like many parents in that moment, were in my kids are the problem, right? We're kind of against each other. Why can't they just be nice to me? Versus, and this is so hard to do in the moment. That's why we practice and practice and reparent and do a million other things. Okay, one second. Hey, you guys want to stay at the game. Look, I have a part of me that wants to stay at the game too. And honestly, I am conflicted. Like a part of me wants to stay because it's fun. And that's like the fun part and the like, just do what feels good part. And a part of me feels like we got to go because we well, also a part of me is like my middle child is the one on the field who appreciates most spectators and will ask me if I saw him face off and feel unloved that we left halfway through anyway. So I know I'm right. also going to get beat up by leaving, but I honor commitments. I mean, the whole thing was like a shit show. It's a shit show. So the situations that are the biggest shit shows with our kids you know, I think we often just ask the wrong questions. We're like, what should I have done? Like, I don't have a great strategy to get anybody out of a shit show. I don't think anyone does. You survive it. You make the best of it. You move on. What you can do is think, okay, what can I do the next time? How can I connect with my kids in a way in advance? <laughs> because that's when we really build skills. So the next Sunday comes, hey, you know what I'm thinking about? We're going to be at the lacrosse game again, or we're going to be somewhere else. And I feel like when it's time to go to the practice, no one's going to really want to leave. Ugh, what's that going to be like? Because I don't think we want what happened last week. That felt good for nobody. We're on the same team here. So number one, let's just get ready for not wanting to leave. After all, as we know in our family, when you know a feeling is coming, it's easier to deal with. This is something Jamie and I talked about with like moving to when you know a feeling is coming, you don't have to contend with the surprise at the feeling. And it's always being surprised by a feeling that puts us into a worse place than the feeling itself. So just talking about it helps. Then you might actually say to your kids, what can we do? Like, what can we say to ourselves when we leave? How can we make sure your sibling knows we're leaving? Maybe what fun thing can we think about doing after practice since we're kind of like giving up fun to go to practice? I'm now, really good at fun, Dr. Becky. I always okay. have fun on that. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, but then you're, then you're using that. You're kind of knowing this isn't fun to leave. So let's own that. Let's cope with it in advance. Now we've even built a strategy. I call that emotional vaccination, right? Mm. It's like you've prepared for the thing that's coming. So your body already has like regulation antibodies that are ready to kick in when the full thing comes and kind of it's not going to be perfect but it helps so much so my my follow-up to that is okay so i did grab i mean it was like and not really pinch but i was like you got to get to the car i mean it was like a scene in front of like 
50 parents and I was mortified, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of mortified. Everyone knows who I am. Like, oh, 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 T. Murphy's retaliating. So it was like super, super embarrassing. And I grabbed her arm. Like I don't hit my kids. I don't hit anyone except the punching bag. But like, what do you do in that moment? Do you own it? Do you apologize? Like, what do you do to earn your kids respect when they when they when you have those moments? My yeah. little guy was terrified, by the way. He's like, Mom, you touched her arm. Yeah. So a couple things. I want to answer how we repair and why we repair. And then I want to actually take your question about respect. And if it's OK with you, I'm going to change the question because sure. I mean, this lovingly, it's just we all ask that question. It's the wrong question to ask. Right. Because if you and your husband do you have a husband. Oh, yeah. Yep, I do. You and your husband, you and your partner. I shouldn't make assumptions, right? (laughs) You and your partner, you and your husband were sitting down and you were like doing something you enjoyed, like reading a book. And he was like, we have to go to the grocery store now. And if you were like, I'm not going. If he looked at you, Megan, it was like, you don't respect me. I think you'd be like, this is not a matter of respect. Maybe you don't respect me. You know? Oh, my gosh. I love that insight. Yes. So whenever we make it a matter of respect, again, we kind of make it about us and about a negative thing instead of understanding like the connection issue. So a couple things. Yes, we repair. And I'll show and why do we repair? When a moment doesn't feel good with our kids, it registers in our body. Just like it registers in your body. You're bringing it up. Your body remembers it. So either we leave a kid alone with that feeling. And I always think like in a poetic way like that's the ending of the chapter. They're like, "Well, that just felt shitty." Like that's the ending. Or we have the opportunity to go back to that moment. And when we repair, I really mean this, we actually change the ending to that chapter. Like the chapter ends differently. So how do we do that? We have to own what we did. We have to not blame them. We actually have to explicitly say it wasn't their fault, even if there's a part of you that's like, but it was their fault. We have to just, I'll explain why. And then we want to really name what we would do different next time and maybe make space for their reaction. That sounds complicated, but it can be really simple. Hey, I'm thinking about last week. I grabbed your arm really, really hard. That probably felt scary. That felt good to no one. That wasn't okay. And I want to be honest, that wasn't your fault. I was having a hard time with like my feelings. Just like kids have hard time with their feelings. Adults do too. And I'm working on managing my frustration. So next time I just tell you, hey, I'm really frustrated right now. I really would love to figure out a way to cooperate instead of doing what I did. Like now I've gone back to literally that memory in your body. And I've added the elements that we're missing in the first place, connection and compassion. And now my kid learns, you know what? Sometimes in close relationships with people you love, people struggle, but then they kind of can make space for your reality and you can move on from there. Like that's that's a much better lesson than, you know what people who love you do, they get it right all the time. Like, I'm sorry. That's is not- there so Dr. <laughs> Becky, is there a time frame on that though? Like if I were to like when we're doing highlights and, and sharing our yays laying next to each other in bed tonight, is it too late? Like if you don't oh, do that, that never too late. That's oh, what told us. Never too late. late. <laughs> that, that, ah. This was like so perfect. No, I have gone back to my kids, right? Actually, I find myself like I struggle with like all the screen time and like, oh, and I have so many feelings about it, it never feels right. So there's times that I go to my son, I'm like, you're on your iPad too much. And and then I'm like, you know what? Like it's on me to set the rules. Like, it's yeah. not his fault, you know? And there have been times I remember it was like I said, I was like, you know what I was thinking about the last couple of times I've yelled at you, like yesterday, but also like the other months, you know what I've realized? I'm upset with myself about being not so clear. And I said this to him, I was like, and I think I just like vomited my feelings onto you. And I'm I'm sorry I did that. And he just looked at me, he's like, yeah, you do that to me a lot sometimes. And I was like, okay, thank you for telling me that. That matters. And if you think of other times that I've done that, that you know happened and I don't remember, please bring them to me. Cause I would never want you to feel alone with something that feels bad, right? So, you know, it's never too late. And almost sometimes like, Again, if your partner was like, you know what I was thinking about last year when you were trying to talk to me about something important, I was on my phone and that was really rude. I feel like you'd be like, wow, you're still thinking about that? That's so nice. Like, Thank you for bringing that up. Right. So it's never, never, it's never too late. I have to say, I am so grateful that you are repeating it's never too late because I have a question about boundaries. And so my youngest, right? He had multiple surgeries, was in a body cast for a large portion of his very young life. He's only four. I legitimately threw every parenting boundary I had created out the window when this poor little angel had his first surgery at eight months and then was immobilized for the next 11. So like I was, I was 
the I was so stringent with sleep schedules and this and this and this, like everything because I had twins first, right? So everything had to be on a rigid schedule or else nothing else would happen and no sleep would happen. And but then again, he gets in this body cast after his first surgery, and I'm like, I will cuddle you to sleep. I will hold you at all times. I will do this. I, like, I, I just like, it's like every rule was like, whoosh, and then he had another surgery last year. And so, so my question to you really is like, is there any like clawing those original boundaries back? How do I, is it possible? How do I do it? I, I never like, again, I have so much guilt associated with the fact that this child needed surgery and was immobilized. And so it's for me, it like crushes me to see him sad. If it's, like something I have done, like, no, mommy has to go out to dinner. And he's like sobbing because I can't snuggle him to sleep. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll stay here forever. I don't know. So how do I, like, he basically owns me, right? It's like emotional blackmail. What do I do? Well, first of all, a couple things, like, and maybe this is like a pattern you see, because I do think it's the thing I always do first is like, let's reframe something. Because often when we're stuck with a kid, we think we need a strategy, we need a new framework before we need a new strategy. The reason we're stuck is because we're looking at it one way that proves not to be so helpful. So what I would say first, Heidi, is like how attuned you were that he needed something very different. Like a kid who has a ton of surgeries, like they don't feel so safe in the world. Like they're not as trusting in their environment with good reason. They're at a hospital. They're this. They're having violation of expectations all over the place, right? Like I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think that was going to happen. That kid has a different attachment need to start forming a foundation of security than another kid. I think more than anything, parents like, and on the platform, people say like, I don't know if Dr. Becky would approve, but I, I let my kids sleep in my bed after he had, after he had like a horrible accident. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, is that what people think of me? Like, I let my kids sleep in my bed sometimes too. Like, there's nothing shameful. I wouldn't even say that's not having boundaries. There's nothing shameful about like seeing your kids' emotional needs and stretching yourself to meet it. So like, I would just. Like, I would come from that place of how resourced you are, not how much you messed up. Because I think the framework is I want to make sure I'm giving my kid the thing they need to feel safe in the world and to have kind of the bravery to explore, right? That's what attachment's all about is like, how can we be a secure base for our kids so they can go to explore the world knowing that they have a secure base who will be waiting for them? Some kids need more time in a secure base, right? So I would say whatever you did to, quote, let him own you early on is still part of the same project because you knew what he needed then. Now, maybe there's a moment, and it sounds like I really mean this. You have a really good gut on this. Like, hey, I'm going to go out to dinner. And it sounds like a party wants to go out to dinner. Yeah. And maybe he's in a place now where you're thinking, like, I actually think he can start to tolerate those little separations. Maybe he's in a better place. We've had enough experience together, right? Then I think actually not that dissimilar from Megan. When we were talking, I would think, number one, how can I prepare him for this, right? How can I prepare him? Hey, I'm going to go out to dinner tonight. I know, I know, I know. You don't want me to, and you're going to cry, and I'm, I might cry. Like, it's not going to be fun for anyone initially. It's going to happen. And let's talk about exactly what's going to happen. And actually, this is so weird, but let's like practice it, right? Like doing a dry run with a kid, it allows them to get mastery. And Megan, even though your kids are older, like I would do this with my 10-year-old or 11-year-old. I would say, okay, I know this is like so weird and annoying. And maybe if you want to be the mom first, kids, they'll like this. You be the mom and I'll be you. And it'd be like, say it, say it. And have them be like, say, we're leaving now. Like, let them like play angry. So that's interesting, Dr. Becky, because when my kids were younger, we did a lot of that. We would like rehearse an uncomfortable situation that was coming up at school. We would rehearse like, and I'm like, okay, she's sixth grader. She's just going to roll her eyes at me. So I have not brought that up in years, but that's so interesting. I think with teens, you have to like, I always think you got to go in the side door. You can't come in the front door anymore, but they still need you to be in their house with them. So I think you don't have to say let's role play, but like, Hey, I have an idea. It's going to be annoying to leave lacrosse practice. Like, I don't know. What, what am I going to say? How am I going to ask you to leave? And then your kid, she loves to imitate me. So that actually could work. I'll just give her my glasses and she does it. (laughs) Exactly. And then you can say like, and I'll play you. And there's a fine line between mockery and playfulness. So you, I know we all know the difference. I'd be like, Oh no, I don't want to leave mom. You're so annoying. Oh, and then you probably could say to her, huh? Well, like, what are we going to do? Cause like, I know I don't actually want to be the angry mom you are. And I know you don't want to be the like whiny kid. I am like, and now you're role playing without saying to your sixth grader, Hey, let's do a dry run. Right. But for Heidi, you could actually do a dry run, right? That's what I call them. So 
it, kids love when you allow them to reverse roles first. So you can say you want to be the mom first. And also the beauty of this, it's such a powerful psychological strategy because now you can be your son showing him you understand his experience, acting out a little bit of distress, but you can also model realistic regulation, not unrealistic. Don't say as your son, okay, mom, have a great time. You deserve it. Cause he's like, not going to say that. <laughs> like, so what I would do is say, okay, so you say bye and maybe you do a whole routine. You hug me. We say, see you later, alligator, whatever the thing is that routine matters in any separation because it gives kids, it gives kids one element that's familiar in a process that feels scary because it's unfamiliar. So you want that same routine and then you could act out Oh, man, I don't want my mom to go. I like when she puts me down. Wait, 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 wait. I don't like this and I can do it. I don't like this. And I something like that, right? Something that validates his experience, but also like has a little bit of stretching and coping. Now, even if he doesn't want to play his role in a dry run, you've given him a skill and given him validation for his experience without like, quote, lecturing him about anything. And now when the separation comes, what's amazing is he might still cry. You'll have more confidence because you'll say to yourself, I'd be like, he literally knew exactly what was going to happen. We acted this whole thing out. And I think it goes back to something at any age. This to me is like one of my foundational ideas of something I couldn't say to talk about all the time in every situation, family jobs. My job as a parent is to set certain boundaries. So maybe you're leaving and to validate and empathize with my kids' feelings. My kids' job in life is to experience and express all their feelings because if they don't do that in childhood, they will become a 25-year-old who has literally the same coping skills as a two-year-old. And we know those 25-year-olds and we know those 65-year-olds and it's not pretty. So their job is to express feelings. So when you leave to be able to say to yourself, when you're out the door and you hear the crying, wait, I set the boundary. I told him I was going to leave. He's crying. Wow. Like, it's not convenient, but it is him doing his job. And I said to him, you're allowed to be upset. I know you're safe even when you cry. I empathize. Like, we actually both did our jobs. It didn't feel great. But to say to yourself as a parent, I did my job, is what enables you to tolerate a messy situation. Because we think the mess is hard for us. It's not. It's our lack of clarity of our role. When you have clarity, you can tolerate the mess. And then our kids learn to do that same thing. Okay, now I'm going to be quiet. That was amazing. Don't, don't be quiet. quiet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dr. Becky, this is so helpful. And this is Jamie again. I, huh, You just made me feel really bad because like, no, you know, you just, you start thinking of the times when you didn't act like this, right? And like, I did it last night. You know, my son has been telling me like, he's starting to feel scared at night and you know, there's a part of me, like he's six and I'm just like, get over it. Like, I didn't tell him to get over it, but like, basically, you know, he, I kind of thought he was maybe using it as like pulling a lever to not have to go upstairs for bedtime. And I kind of treated it like that. But the reality is I really wasn't listening to him or validating his feelings. And I think back to when I was a kid and like when I was scared and if you don't feel heard, like that's devastating. And you just reminded me that if I discredit, invalidate, or don't let him feel feelings and help him process something, he's going to grow up with, you know, with a hole there. And I think that's really important advice. And I appreciate that. I want to take that a little bit into um, the realm of general anxiety that kids are feeling right now, especially amidst a pandemic, a war, everything that's going on. I know, like, my own kids have experienced it. My nanny was just telling me, um, cause I told her I was interviewing you and she was like, Oh my God, my son like won't stop washing his hands. Like, you know, she, she was telling me about her experience and Megan, I know that you've been having a lot of experiences with this. I don't know if there's anything you want to share, but I just kind of want to take it there. Cause I feel like a lot of people are in this space right now. So first of all, Jamie, let me, let me just say like nobody quote parents like this all the time. My kids do not have Dr. Becky as a parent. And I meant when I said about repair, like I would, I wouldn't wish Dr. Becky on them as a parent. Like it just doesn't set you up for life where people are not always attuned to you, where people mess up and where sometimes like you, you move on from that when in general, you're raised in a family that in general is there for you and acknowledges what's happening. So this is not a hundred percent of the time. So the other thing I should say is that anxiety and sleep 
like are related. And like not enough of us realize that with kids that sleep issues are separation anxiety issues. Sleep is the time our kids separate us from us for like 12 hours. And it doesn't mean that we have to sleep in the same bed as them forever. Although if that works for you and your family, that's fine. But it does mean we have to understand sleep through an anxiety lens, which most people don't. Most interventions I think about sleep and actually about kids' anxiety, I think are incredibly purely well-intentioned and I actually think make anxiety way worse. Um, And so the first thing I think to think about with anxiety is anytime we try to convince a kid why they're fine, we are deepening their anxiety. Anxiety is not like the way I think about anxiety is it's, it's essentially your body saying, I don't want to be feeling what I'm feeling right now. It's almost like a reaction to a feeling or a reaction to a thought or a reaction to a sensation. It's like, I want to run away from this feeling. And whenever we essentially say to a kid, some version of, there's no reason to feel that way. Look, you know, everyone at this party, it's fine. Or um, what do you mean? There's no evidence for you to be thinking that way. Why don't you think this way instead? These are like, these are actually things that a lot of even professionals recommend. It it just doesn't resonate with me. Because I'm like, that's literally the process of making someone less at home in their body because they're learning to fear their thoughts. If a thought is so bad that you have to convince yourself out of it, then aren't we making a child more and more unable to be at home with their thoughts and feelings? So I I take a totally different approach. Jamie, right after this, I'm going to send you, I really want you to take both the kids' anxiety workshop or definitely the sleep workshop. The sleep workshop, I can't even tell you how many parents are like, this is literally 180 from what most people say and has completely changed my kids' relationship with the I need it too. I need it too. It's <laughs> yeah. so, I really mean this. I'm just going to say it. It is so fucking good, both of those workshops. They are I so they are so good. They are totally different. So number one for anyone listening, okay, to give you a preview of that. We like I want everyone right now, if you picture your kid who's anxious, maybe they're anxious about washing their hands, maybe they're anxious about going to a party, maybe they're anxious about I throwing don't know, up. Throwing up. Fine. Great. That's a great one. Okay. Think about your kid in a hole. And they're in a hole. Okay. Like not an abyss. It's just like a hole. And if you think about reassurance or trying to tell your kid why they don't need to feel that way, what's really happening is we're outside the hole and we put our hand in and we're like pulling them out. We're like, hey, you don't have have to be in this hole. Like, come over here. Okay. So what happens the next time your child's in that hole? This is what they remember besides that feeling because they're going to be there again. And everyone knows this because you're like, I keep telling my kid they don't have to be worried about this, but they keep being worried about this or about something else. The next time they're there, they have a further memory of being alone because they remember you trying to pull them away from it, no one being there with them. The other thing they realize is I'm kind of scared to be in this hole. And wow, my parent is also scared to be in this hole because they will not get in this hole with me. They are trying to get me out. So this feeling must be so bad and so awful. No wonder their anxiety is so much worse as you go on with those methods, right? What we need to do with our kids in those holes is jump in with them. Literally jump in the hole. Not from a, yeah, I'm anxious too. That would be like creating our own hole next to their hole and combining them. Jumping in from the perspective of like, first of all, now you're not alone. And second of all, my kid knows I'm not on like a kamikaze mission. Like I'm jumping in here and therefore I'm literally showing you, not lecturing you, but showing you like this thing can't be so bad if I'm willing to like name it and talk about it with you. We have to be less scared of our kids' scary feelings before they're able to believe that they can be less scared of those same feelings. So, you know, a kid, for example, who doesn't want to join a soccer team, like even like a small level of anxiety like that, as opposed to, hey, you know, these are all your friends, right? That's pulling out of a hole. I think jumping in a hole is there's something about joining this team that doesn't feel good to you right now. I believe you. It's okay to feel nervous. I feel nervous a lot too. I'm right here. We'll figure it out together. Now, does that mean your kid's going to join the soccer team? No, not right then and there. But to me, I'm less concerned with a kid's decision in the moment or their specific behavior as I am with them learning the skills that over time and for the rest of their life will enable them to make good decisions for themselves. So I don't know if there's specific scenarios around anxiety that we can like even look at like how that would play out. I'm happy to play one out together. 
I'm curious because so I do a lot of what you're what you're doing just have through having workshop this with my child. Great. And a lot of it is this is really scary. I feel this way too. When I do X, I feel similarly. Mm-hmm. She now has a lot of coping strategies. And then I sometimes wonder like she has a little kit. And it's got lavender, it's got mints, it's got tactile things. We do a grounding exercise where we put the feet on the ground. And like my husband doesn't necessarily understand all of the things that we're doing. And I've become this safe place where I'm really doing all these things with my daughter. And then it comes to my, I'm like, am I doing too much? Are there too many of these mm-hmm. coping mechanisms? Like the mints by her bed, her, you know, her lavender bouquet, those things are very, very calming and soothing to her. And then there's a moment of like, do I start to at some point pull those things back? Like, is it too much? So, and this is all like, why would she have a mint by her bed? You said it's a fear of vomit. She, she has a very irrational, it started with vomit when my father was dying of cancer and chemotherapy and and vomiting became very, very scary. And then, you know, throwing a a fun pandemic where everyone's sick and scary and contagious. And so it's sort of like an illness kind of thing. And it can also be being very fearful to join a team if she doesn't know anybody, some social things that really can become very, very difficult as well, where, you know, I, I'm lucky to be in a school where the nurse and I are kind of in cahoots and and like, well, like, okay, uh, you know, we did some breathing work, like we did some grounding and we go through the bad scenario. Okay, well, yeah, if you threw up, I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to be kind of annoyed because I don't want to clean up that puke right now. But if it happens, we're going to get through it. And so we do even go to the bad place because I had been told by a therapist that, absolutely don't try to make it go away with your words. Validate how bad it is, how scary it is. Because I don't necessarily suffer from anxiety. I think I've started to (laughs) in like the past month or two. And I'm like, maybe it's contagious because everything has just been so much and a lot lately. And I'm like, maybe I'm a little anxious too. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you're going to love the workshop because there's it's 75 minutes, right? So it's so much more than I could talk about here. And it's so organized and so strategy-based. The other thing about vomit, fear of vomit happens to be like a fascinating thing to me because I feel like there's something else always going on. There's like vomit can be so representative. And I don't know if this resonates with your child, but vomit to me is like everything kind of like bad and nasty inside me is just like out for everyone to see. Interesting. And I don't know if she's a kid who's kind of perfectionistic or like kind of good or very high achieving, but a lot of those kids... Nope. <laughs> Which is so weird to me. She just so got what? a math test. Love you, Char. <laughs> yeah, so she's fine with that. So that that isn't it, it might like it can be so many different Which things. is weird because I was that way. I was very like type A high achieving, perfectionistic, but but not so much in my kids, which is really yeah. funny. And it might just be because I live a very messy example, right? Like I'm very conscious of my mom mirror and owning mistakes and walking yeah. around with going to the airport with bedhead and making them see like, it's not always TV glam. Like it. it's messy. Yeah. So what I would say like there, and you and I can continue talking, you know, there's so many more details. But like if I think about the coping mechanism, like the way I think about it is we want our kids to learn that they can tolerate when they don't have an answer right away, right? When they don't have a solution. So coping mechanisms are great. It's all about building coping mechanisms, but there's like an irony there. Sometimes it's also about watching yourself tolerate distress before you can like get to the mint or whatever it is that gives her that soothing. So I would be thinking about just that, that space, like how long from when the fear comes up until she can do something that almost like brings the fear down. And as helpful it is to bring the fear down, you almost want to actually like lengthen that space. Not like I would like hold all her coping mechanisms behind your back and hide them. But I would be thinking about, hey, yes, we're going to go get that lavender pillow. But you know what? Let's let's walk more slowly. Or you know what? Like let's let's almost like stretch that because that's the evidence kids need over time for, oh, when things don't go the way I want them to or when things are hard, I can still cope. It's kind of like the kid who says like, oh, no one's going to play with me at the play date. They're not going to feel better by saying, yes, they will. They'll almost feel better by saying like being at a play date and maybe they don't have a kid to play with for a little bit and they watch themselves survive it. (laughs) That's almost like the evidence often our body needs to lower the fear of that thing. Um, The other thing I would want to just say to our listeners in general is that anxiety is not always obvious. And the thing that parents always say to me is like, I had no idea my kid was anxious or no idea that it was going. People are shocked 
that my daughter has these tendencies because only I really, really, really get to see it. So I wonder if with anxiety in general, are there some red flags or some watch outs that parents listening can be like, whoa, my child might be suffering in silence and I didn't know. Yes, I think that especially in like the teen tween years and for a bunch of kids even younger than that, anxiety can come out with like a lot of anger on the surface or what can almost look like is like spoiled or entitled behavior. But really, there's a lot of like anxiety and fear around that, right? So I'm not playing, you know, with that kid unless it's at my house, right? Or something. And you're like, oh, like my kid's kind of obnoxious. And underneath that could be like, oh, like it's hard for me to imagine going to someone else's house and like what kind of stuff do they have there? And right, am I going to feel comfortable there, right? That there, that anxiety can often be underneath that. The other thing I think that anxiety often masks itself as is perfectionism, right? To think about perfectionism as like a type of anxiety, I think is a powerful reframe. Can children be born with anxiety? Like, is it something that you're born with or is it something you develop or is it a little bit of both? Because like, for example, one of my twins used to like pull her hair out while she was sleeping as an infant. And I was like, how is this baby anxious about anything? (laughs) felt like such a parenting fail. No, definitely not a parent. And I would say kids are definitely born with such unique temperaments, right? You know, the word anxiety to me, it's one of the trickier words. I'm not a fan of like diagnosis in general. I find it like incredibly reductionistic and really limiting. And I would say like every single person in the world has some amount of anxiety. Like, because if I, the way I think about anxiety is there's some parts of us or experiences that we have a hard time being at home with that we look to get rid of or run away from. So like, it's kind of universal. Are there certain kids who maybe are, you know, almost more porous to the world than others. Like I think about my kids, like one is way more porous to the world. Like she takes in everything. She notices all the details. Like, yeah, she's probably more prone to that type of anxiety because she like feels things more deeply, right? And then has to cope more often than a different one of my kids. So I feel like they kind of go about the world not being that porous to everything's around them. So I think, yes, they're definitely different temperaments and kind of Porous is a good word. I think I'm pretty porous. (laughs) I think thinking about our kids that way is really powerful because it it just also gives us a sense of like how they go about the world, right? Like that's why so many kids, especially younger kids, they come home and like it's the end of the day or maybe pick them up in a car and it's like, oh, everything comes out, even though their teacher says like, oh, they had a good day or they're great in school. Well, they're poor. It's like they take in a lot and they probably hold it in. They hold it in. They hold it in. They keep it together at school. And then they're in the car with you. And it feels like a kind of safe container. And then their body's like, oh, now it's all now it's all flowing out. Right. And I, I do. I, I love the visual imagery of that. And it helps us understand how our kids process the world. You've given us a lot to chew on, Doctor. I, <laughs> I mean, this no, it's really it's so wonderful. I, I truly I know we say this to our guests sometimes, but I really mean it. I could talk to you all day. Like you Me are too. so wonderful. How you we should take a road trip and just like drive cross country and ask you questions. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for the help that you give other people. I've heard from moms across the country throughout this pandemic, how much you have helped them. It comes up all the time. So I know that, you know, but hear it from me, you are doing such amazing work and we appreciate you and appreciate your time. We do have one more quick little segment of our show that we always do before we let you go. It is called Meg's Carmichael. So I always force Megan to say it because she is the most enthusiasm and it sounds so much better coming from Megan. But I am the resident yogi, so I'll explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our super inspiring, knowledgeable guests, what is one small actionable item that our listeners could take that would yield a large result? So small action, giant result. Easiest example is drinking water every morning. It doesn't have to be complicated. I would say do a double repair today. Okay, and here's what a double repair is. And I think every repair has to be a double one. We can't repair with our kids before we repair with ourselves. And that has to be a very concrete, very real thing. So everyone listening here, think about something you did with someone else that you're not proud of. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe maybe you don't have kids or it's someone else. I want you to imagine that. I want you to first put your hand on your heart and tell yourself, like, essentially, I'm a good person who is having a hard time. I'm a good parent who is having a hard time. This doesn't define me. And kind of say something like that until you actually feel something release in your body. And then go find that person 
and essentially say, hey, I've been thinking about this thing I did. It didn't feel good to me, and I know it didn't feel good for to, to you. That wasn't your fault. I did that, and I'm sorry, and I love you. And let me know if you want to talk about it anymore. That has a huge – if we all did a re- kind of that type of double repair today, I think we'd, I think we'd notice a difference in the world. And oh, now we're crying from that beautiful <laughs> Yes to the double repair. I vowed to do my double repair today. Girls, are you in? I'm in. Yes. I have to, I might have to skip a panel to do it, but I, I want to, <laughs> I might have, I got to get to my kid bef- before he goes to sleep. Yeah. And I do, and I really mean this for everyone listening. Like, I love how impactful, like the good inside strategies and method and workshops have been. And, and the part of it, I really mean this, that always worries me is, because I am kind of, I guess, like the, the founder or the spokesperson is like, I just hope, I really hope everyone knows how like I yell at my kids. I'm on my phone when I don't, when I say I won't be. I'm not Dr. Becky with my kid. Nobody is, right? And so those repairs, those imperfect moments, every single parent struggles. I think the good parents repair as often as they can. And that's what I hold myself to, not being perfect. Amen. All right. Thank you for that. And thank you for giving us permission to just accept that we're perfectly imperfect humans doing the best that we can. So final thing, where can our listeners find you? Where can they find about your program and where can they find you on the gram? So everything can be found through goodinside.com. You can get to my Instagram there, which is Dr. Becky at Good Inside. You can get to my podcast from the Good Inside website. And then, yeah, this platform has over 20 workshops, right, which individually I think costs like over $1,000 or something like that, plus this really amazing library of resources. It really is like three-minute videos, really easy, beautifully designed scripts for exact tricky moments, plus lots of live events with me and other Good Inside coaches and occupational therapists and speech therapists and couples therapists, kind of a whole group of experts. And then just, I really think the most amazing global community that's, you know, to, there to support you. So that's all at goodinside.com as well. And the book is out in September. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. My book. Oh my I'm, God. I'm an author, so I'm we not going to let you not plug your book. Don't worry. <laughs> I love my book. My book is not recycled Instagram posts. I, I, I keep saying that people are like, even if it was, I'd get it. But I, I always have found that a little frustrating. It is not. It's completely new content. It is called Good Inside, The Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. And it really lays out the kind of principles to the Good Inside approach, but they're all actionable and concrete. And then it literally goes through 20 problem behaviors in most people's homes, including mine, whining, hitting, tantrums, rudeness, lying, and it breaks down what's going on, my top five strategies to use and how to apply them. So it's a book you can come back to over and over and it's out September 13th. Yay. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. We all can't wait to get it. And thank you so much, Dr. Becky. Thank you ladies so much. This was really, really special and awesome. And I truly love talking with each of you. Dr. Becky has left the chat. Guys, did you just rock your world? I apologize because I feel like I dominate a little bit because I feel like I have so many questions. And when I'm saying we could have talked to her for forever. Like I really didn't want to let her go. Meg's parenting questions are universal. So there's no such thing as dominating this particular conversation. It was, they're universal. So thank you for asking the questions. She was amazing. Like so relatable. I honestly, when I think of parenting coaches, I think of like, okay, that would never work in real life. But the way that Dr. Becky gave us real examples to her different solutions, it was like, Oh, I could totally do that. Well, the I, re- I love a good that. reframe. The reframes were clutch. I mean, yeah. I'm literally going to go back and listen to the show and take notes because it was like, I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. Wait, pause. Can you say that again? I mean, she just had so many gems that I think will be very useful in my own life and my own parenting journey. Um, and it was good and timing. it's never was, too late. It's never too late. Because I have to say, I still was honestly feeling viscerally bad about my my dealings with my kids last night. And like we had a hot tub pool party even after the fact to try to make it feel better. And it didn't, it still doesn't. And so I cannot wait to go home tonight and to not too late, make it better. And I love how she kept saying it didn't, I'm sure it didn't feel good for you. And it definitely didn't feel good for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I just love that idea. I love the way that it sounds and it kind of puts you and your children on a level playing field when you do that. And I love that. Exactly. And I I was saying to you guys uh, another time recently, like, you know, we often, my husband and I go in and own our shit. Like, we'll say, I'm sorry that I lost my temper 
do you forgive me? And kind of leave it at that, but I, which is good. But I think the like a plus version of that is really helping them understand like, so do you kind of get this? Like you're human, I'm human. Like mommy gets frustrated. Hey, do you get frustrated? Tell me a time when you got, get frustrated. Like all of that is how we help them learn to process emotions in a healthy way. So I think there's like a step beyond that that is where you're actually then fostering growth through a misstep. Totally. And and I love, I mean, I loved everything she said, really. Like, I, lo- And I also loved how she talked about community and, you know, parents helping other parents. And Jane, when you were talking about Mason being scared to go upstairs, this happened with the twins like uh, several months ago because one of them had a bad dream. And then like every night they didn't want to go to bed because they were afraid to have a bad dream. And I said, okay, well, then I'm going to burn some Palo Santo because Palo Santo gets rid of bad vibes. And so now like we made up a silly song together and now I sing it and I do the Palo Santo in bed and they're just like creating that new ritual of, Mm -hmm. okay, going to bed can be scary, but here's something that can help. And, you know, this stick of wood is meant to get rid of bad vibes. So here we go. It's amazing how important rituals can be. Yeah. And, and, I, and she even talked about like, so it's a safety net. It's like, that is something that's constant. It's expected. Um, and there is so much unexpected things in life that can be so scary. So to creating more of those rituals, that was also interesting to me. How can I do more of that safe, repetitive, expected experiences in my kids' days? Can I do a, Can I give you guys a fun uh, parenting tip. This is for my own parents. And now I've passed it down to my kids. Something that we do before bedtime, especially when they've had bad dreams to make them kind of feel more in control is we have the dream machine. So I say, okay, Asher, I'm going to go like over here behind this cabinet. The dream machine's on the wall. Only mommy can reach it because my arm's a little longer. So I'm going to go back here. I'm going to turn the knob. Okay. All right. So what do you want to dream about? Oh, Blippy. Okay. Hold on. I'm on the B section. Okay. Balloons. Uh, you know, okay. Blippy got it. And now Mason, my six-year-old has taken to, Hey, Asher, I'll set the dream machine for you. And every night Mason goes over, he's like, what do you want to dream about? So it's kind of like, he's in on the trick on the joke. He's the big boy. And it's like, you know, it's really like, it's a fun thing that kind of reframed some bad dreams. Wait, what's the dream machine? It's, it's pretend. Fake. It's fake. It's pretend. Oh make, my god! It's not it's, even. You're setting oh, the intention yeah, of what you want to dream about. You like make oh, knock it down the walls if you're setting a, a button and pulling a lever. Oh but, my god! I love this. Behind the cabinet. And that's what I mean. Like Mason gets to be in on it. And then ah, it was, of course, this, this 46 year old mom wasn't in on it. Right. Like it takes <sighs> me a hot second to realize that's not real, Meg. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? My parents did it for me. And like, there's, there's these little things that I pull from my youth sometimes. And I'm like, you know what, mom and dad going to give you guys a pat that's on the cool. back. I dig that. I Go ahead that. and adopt that one. So you know what? Even though our parents were all byproducts of like the the fucking up of our own parents, they also all got a couple things right. I think at the end of the day, that's where this all kind of lets off. We're all just doing the best that we can. It's going to be okay. But hopefully Dr. Becky can help us be just a little bit better. Well, I am so glad that you guys joined us today from home. I hope you got something really valuable out of Dr. Becky's advice. If you want to go check her out, go to her website. What was it? Good inside? She said goodinside.com. Goodinside.com and look for her book coming out in September. And hey, if you want to check us out, we are on Instagram at Off The Grand Podcast. And you And don't forget to subscribe to this show so you never miss an episode. That was a mouthful, but please subscribe and leave us a fun little comment and some some stars while you're at it. It helps more people hear our show in that damn algorithm. We love you and we'll see you next time. Yay. 